Discover the Mediterranean secret to optimal health and longevity with GMT 23 Greek Mountain Tea from Terry Naturally. These capsules are stronger than a cup of brewed tea and support overall health, including liver health, digestion, and cognitive function. Now for the first time ever, this botanical is available in supplemental form in the United States. Find GMT 23 Greek Mountain Tea at your local health food store or terrynaturalvitamins.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Our guest today is Jane McClellan, who battled two aggressive cancers with metastatic spread. Both were classified as terminal. Now, using her medical knowledge and researching heavily, she put together a cancer-starving formula using natural therapies, uh, exercise, and diet. And when she developed a second cancer, leukemia, the result of chemotherapy and radiotherapy from her first cancer, she knew she only had weeks to live. But with nothing to lose, she put together a unique cocktail of old drugs. And to her enormous relief, joy, and surprise, her cancer just melted away. And her cocktail was more powerful than she had ever hoped. Now, since her remarkable recovery, Jane has been on a, well, she's been a staunch supporter of off-label drugs for cancer therapy. Now, Jane is campaigning for these off-label drugs to be recognized as effective cancer treatment. Now, she spends much of her day coordinating cancer care for patients, researching those off-label drugs, and providing up-to-date information for thousands of her followers in her Facebook group. But her mission? To turn the oncology profession upside down. And her best-selling blockbuster book, How to Starve Cancer and Then Kill It with Ferroptosis, is our area of topic today. So without further ado, let's welcome Jane McClellan back to the show to discuss more about her groundbreaking work. Hi, Jane. Hi, thanks so much for having me back. Oh, well, I I will tell you this. You have garnered more questions than any interview that I have ever done. I've received over 2,000 questions about your book and about 300,000 engagements from uh, people who actually saw our first interview. But can you kind of give us a quick overview of the two types of terminal cancer you were diagnosed with in the past? Yeah, sure. I haven't got time to do the 2,000 questions, I don't think, but (laughs) (laughs) I can certainly start with that one. So I was first diagnosed with cervical cancer in 1994. And that spread to my lungs in 1999. The chemo and the radiotherapy that I received for that was really very intense, very heavy. She thought she was actually going to kill me, giving me as much chemo and radiotherapy as she did. That then led to myelodysplasia, which is like a leukemia. It was going towards acute myeloid leukemia in the bones. Um, It's treatment related. They don't have an answer for that for in conventional oncology they don't have an answer for that because you're kind of you've done everything you've done the chemo you've done everything what can you do next and that was my question what the heck can i do at this point to save myself uh so that's when i started digging around in old publications and because this was before the internet was quite as populated as it is with the information i was scrabbling around looking in um, journals and magazines and anywhere uh, that I could find information to to find little ideas of things that might work. And I started to cotton on to the fact that there were these old drugs that had been forgotten that had shown in the past 
have these anti-cancer effects. And I knew I had to starve the cancer in some way. I knew glucose was important, but I knew it wasn't the only thing. There were other, other things that needed to be starved out there, uh, like the glutamine um, and also fat pathways as well. So I started to put together this cocktail and I worked out certain things that worked in synergy together. So I knew that statins and non-steroidal anti-inflammatories had this synergy together that if you add them together, they work five times better to kill your cancer than individually. And it was all about getting these cocktails that work synergistically, that was what I put my cocktail together with. And then it added up to, thankfully, uh, to, to me going into remission. And I, I honestly didn't feel bad doing any of these treatments. I thought that maybe I would get some reactions. I was very nervous about it to check with my doctor because I, I went to several doctors to get this cocktail. It wasn't just one person. Um, and then I had to really check that I wasn't going to have any terrible side effects or feel, you know, that I was going to do myself more damage, kill myself doing it. Um, and, you know, I got the go ahead from my doctor. They're fine. They're low toxicity. Go ahead, try it. So I did. And yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> and that was so the myelodysplasia that was in 2003 and i was so worried actually the first time i um did my cocktail i only did it for three months i was so concerned nobody done it this you know nobody i knew or anybody had done this before so it was a a, a totally new step and i had nobody ahead of me to sort of guide me or say try this or do this for this long or that much or even guessing the dosages of the treatments was something I had to try and work out from the literature so it was very much um I was the pig I was n of one you know experiment of one person doing this and uh the reason why these drugs work together I've kind of worked out more and the more information has come out in um, published medical records about why they work and all the different pathways that they shut off. So I ended up uh, putting together kind of like a, a map of how these things worked and, and which pathways I'd actually switched off doing this for my particular type of cancer, but different cancers use different pathways or they're more dominant in different pathways. So it was a, a matter of working out not just for me, but when I published my book, I wanted to make sure this was a book that would show other people the key pathways that cancer uses so that they can work out for themselves. My job now is really an educator about how cancer fuels itself and really the kind of cocktails you can put together, not just off-label drugs. You know, we're talking about things like intravenous vitamin C. We're talking about lots of supplements like quercetin, like berberine. There, there are quite a lot of supplements that really work on starving the cancer in different ways. And it's about putting that cocktail together uh, to make it work for you. That's well, why. I think, I think the thing, one of the things that's never talked about in the cancer industry, and I don't think most oncologists ever bring it up, is they never talk about the secondary cancers caused by the actual treatment. And you really yeah. brought kind of alluded to the point that if you've already gone through all of those treatments for your first cancer, then you end up with a secondary cancer caused by that treatment. 
that treatment isn't going to work on the secondary cancer, correct? No, no, that's right. It's more, it's even harder to treat than the first one. And in fact, actually, my my first one was probably coming back as well on top of it. And so the first time I had it in 2003, when I had the myelodysplasia, and I treated it for just a few months, um, I think I just had the myelodysplasia in 2004. I think everything was hitting me at the same time. You know, I, I think I had to. So that's why I just put more <laughs> in 2004 when it was com- coming back in. I kind of used more things than in 2003 in order to try and block it because I kind of thought, right, well, I've survived. I knew that cocktail worked. So uh, and I felt fine. I felt absolutely fine doing it. So I can add more things, you know. So I, I put more things in because I had nothing, you know, what was I going to lose? I was going to die. So, you know, it was a, a to me it was a no-brainer. I had to, well, I had to try this. Well, tell us about uh the variety of common cancers and what they use to actually feed themselves to grow because not all cancers use sugar as food. Well, most um, I would say that the majority of cancers do use glucose up to, um, you know, as, as, as their main fuel. But there are some cancers like sarcomas that are primarily driven by arginine. Now, I had one lady in Ireland and they were checking her PET scan. A PET scan normally detects the amount of glucose that's taken up into a cancer I said, oh, no, you haven't got cancer. There's nothing showing up on your PET scan. But of course, it was arginine. Arginine is an amino acid. So it wasn't being picked up by the scan. She had cancer in multiple places. But because it's arginine, it wasn't showing up at all. Uh, So this is something that people have to realize. And and some cancers, um, some people actually, they do so well starving their cancer of glucose. And then they make it more fueled by glutamine which again is an amino acid and it's not showing up on the PET scan. I had another lady with triple negative breast cancer. She starved her cancer brilliantly. She did really intense ketogenic diet and other things. And she kind of deprived the cancer of having glucose. Uh, And then the cancer said, okay, I'll switch to using glutamine. And triple negative breast cancer is so aggressive and it will use anything it can. It'll use glutamine, it'll use fat, it'll use anything it can grab to fuel itself. And again, this wasn't showing up on her PET scan because, of course, it was being fueled by something else. So you have to attack multiple pathways at the same time in order to try and starve the cancer. You can't just rely on a ketogenic diet. It's well, you you can try, but I mean, you, you're risking it. I don't want people to risk things. You need to be looking at blocking um, a cocktail, a combination. I always tell people whenever you're looking to starve cancer, you need a combination. Do not just rely on fenbendazole, for example, which is another um, off-label drug. It's actually an anti-worming drug that's become very popular amongst the sort of cancer community. Uh, the human version is mebendazole. It was found to be very good at actually blocking brain tumors. And so high doses of it are actually now being used for kids with with brain tumors because it's low toxicity and um, it has some great effects, but it needs more. Do you know what I mean? You can't just rely on that because that's blocking mebendazole and fenbendazole 
So fenbendazole is the vet um, equivalent of the mobendazole. So you can actually buy fenbendazole in a veterinary practice or, you know, these um, home stores for, for uh, pets. So you can get the fenbendazole, but it's still never going to be enough to block all the pathways. And I, I do encourage people to, you know, I get a lot of people start off on that protocol. They do well initially because the fenbendazole is actually blocking the glucose coming in, but then it starts to fail. So then hopefully they find me and then uh, they realize there are more pathways that they need to block. Uh, well, and then let me ask you something. Yeah, let me ask you something, Jane, because I want to, I want to make sure it, this stays, um, I want to clarify glutamine and arginine in their healthy forms um, are great for the body. Cause I know that with arginine, yeah, yeah. there are anti-tumor properties to arginine. So is it more of yeah. the pathways kind of get off kilter, so to speak? It's the reliance. So some cancers are hugely reliant on arginine. So sarcomas, for example, liver cancers, some melanomas, some brain tumors are really dependent on arginine. And that is, um, it's a vulnerability that they have. Um, but yes, I mean, I actually took arginine as a supplement for my cancer because I was trying to boot my immune system. So it does depend on the type of cancer that you have and, and you know, what you're actually taking to, because I was trying to boost my immune system at the time to try and get my white blood cells to fight my cancer and arginine can be very useful for that. Uh, I might've done the wrong thing back then. I don't know. Um, so, you know, I mean, it's, um, I think there are phases that you go through when you're trying to starve your cancer, you have to start off by, attacking it on multiple levels but you also need to so you need to almost block the metabolism of the cancer cell in order to get the immune system to switch back on because one of the reasons that the immune system switches off in cancer is because of the production of lactic acid or lactate so you a bit like when you're uh, running and your muscles don't get enough oxygen they produce lactic acid your, your cancer cells do exactly that. They produce lactic acid, even though they have access to oxygen. So they they do that as a fermentation process happens in the cancer cell. They pump out lactic acid and lactic acid switches off the immune cells in the environment. So to get immunotherapies to work, to get your immune system back on track, you actually need to block the production of lactic acid and this fermentation process, this glycolysis, that's really quite key. There's no point doing immunotherapies if you can't control the glycolysis. And this is not discussed. You know, people are just given the immunotherapies and they work in so few people. And because they're not addressing the metabolism of the cancer cell in the first place, and that's mm -hmm. the problem. It's kind of let's throw this new fantastic immunotherapy at the, the the patient but they haven't understood that the reason it doesn't work is because of all these other factors um and that's just one tiny part of why an immunotherapy won't work you know it's actually a little bit more complicated than that but that's a key part well you're right yeah you're right because i know many people who have gone through immunotherapy 
And in the beginning, it, it looks very promising. They may get some results in the very beginning. But people don't realize that immunotherapy is still in its very infant stage. So everyone who goes on it is basically a research project. Um, yeah. And there are some horrendous side effects to uh, immunotherapy, including organ damage. And yeah. a lot of people uh, don't know that. And oncologists, you know, to me, a lot of oncologists, you've probably seen this as well. A lot of these therapies are considered standardized. They're not individualized to the actual person. So, yeah. you know, in retrospect, they're basically throwing spaghetti, uh, you know, at the wall and hoping it sticks and works. I know. And they're not really taking into account the, the different genetics that the person has, because that has an effect on the tumor metabolism as well. So the P53 gene, the MYC gene, the BRAF gene, the KRAS gene, these all affect the metabolism of the cancer cell. And they talk about these mutations, but they don't. So they're looking for targeted drugs to attack these mutations without actually looking at the underlying metabolism that these mutations cause. And if they went back a little bit further and actually looked at the fact that the P53 alters glycolysis, which is this fermentation, it alters glutaminolysis, the breakdown of glutamine. And just to go back on your point with glutamine, because I think this might worry people that they feel they have to starve their bodies of glutamine. You can't directly starve your body of glutamine. Glutamine is the most abundant protein in your body. The point is not to starve the body, you want to starve the cancer. And that's the key. You want to stop the transport from your body getting into the cancer. So there's a transport protein on the surface and it can be blocked with EGCG from green tea. So that is um, a key thing to add into any cocktail is to keep that green tea in your diet. And even I've never liked green tea, but I still drink it. It's part of my, you know, daily ritual. Um, because I, I think it's important. It's it's hugely preventative for people wanting to prevent cancer. Please stick, you know, green tea as part of your prevention protocol. In um, it's it's really key. Fish oils as well, really good. Well, we're going to get into that. So, what are the three yeah. fuel sources that cancer cells require in order to survive? The main one is the glucose, um, and then the other main one is glutamine. Um, but there are some cancers that thrive on these other amino acids as well. And then fat pathways as well. So cholesterol, um, cholesterol can really drive many cancers. So pancreatic cancer, for example, is hugely driven by cholesterol. Breast cancers and prostate cancer are very fat driven cancers as well. You really need to be taking things to block the fat uptake. In fact, a sort of a fat reduction reduction diet for breast cancer and for prostate cancer is important. You need to have the right fats. It's really important to have these omega-3, you know, really good omega-3 ratio to your um, omega-6. And it's important to make sure that um, you have a, a very high DHA, that that part of the, you know, that part of the omega-3 is really key in order to provide the right environment for the cancer, uh, for the anti-cancer effect on the on on the cancer effect on on the cell, so that's what you need to do is just create the right 
lipid balance, the right, you know, a low GI diet so that you're really reducing the amount of glucose. But there are other things that you can take to block the glucose getting into the cell. So like I mentioned earlier, the fenbendazole or mebendazole, which we can access easily over here, it's gone crazy in the US. They put the price up beyond where you can imagine and they have made it very hard to access in the US. Maybe it coincided with this research in cancer coming out, who knows, but you can still get hold of fenbendazole, um, but that helps block the glucose receptor. So it's really important to block the glucose coming in. Vitamin C, brilliant as well at helping to block the glucose. So there are, there are many different things that will actually help to, to lower that and lowering not just glucose, but insulin as well. Insulin will push glucose into the cell and actually make it um, more aggressive. So you need to have, uh, your body needs to be more insulin sensitive and many people become insulin resistant as they get older and they are not aware of it. Uh, so it's something that I think people should check to see whether they have insulin resistance, see their fasting blood sugar levels um, and check that their metabolism is good. If you can get all those things um, improved, your chances of recovering from cancer are so much better. So the, the glucose is important. The glutamine I've talked about and the fat is effectively three sides to my triangle. I have like a map with like pathways going in to my triangle on each side to show the key pathways that most cancers use. And then you have to kind of work out do a little bit and I like to empower people to actually work it out for themselves. If I just say, just take this, I don't think people really get it because they haven't done the research. They haven't looked right. into it. And, and, and everybody's, an, everybody's an individual. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. So you um, actually have the route map in the book that, yeah. uh, which you show these pipelines uh, that uh, one needs to understand to to block uh, various types of cancers then, right? That's correct. It's it's in there. And I've got, you know, what blocks every pathway in my book as well. It's sort of like the answers are there too. You just have to read it, you know? <laughs> well, well, what type then, of feedback have you received from those fighting cancer who have followed the the, uh, the maps and the pipelines in your book? I have positive progress reports in my Facebook group and people, if they want to look at them, they can join my Facebook group and have a look. It's Jane McClelland, off-label drugs for cancer. Bit of a long mouthful, but you know, that's, that's my um, key Facebook group. I also have one for my book, which is how to starve cancer. And I post, sometimes I post positive progress reports on there as well. But most of the information is in my bigger group, the off-label drugs group. And I also post, you know, people post their maps, if you like, what they've actually put together. So they're cocktails for specific cancers as well and what's actually worked for them. So that there's a lot of information in that site. It's kind of more a, a research resource for cancer patients. It's there to boot up and 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 help them in their journeys so if they have you know maybe they've done this fenbendazole protocol and it's failed then they can add some other stuff look at what other people have done um so it's actually helping to 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 improve the results so and, and in your book you do give the actual names of these off-label drugs as well as supplements that 
uh, one may want to take? Yes, I think people get a little bit confused when they first go into my book and read it because there are drugs that they've never heard of, things like dipridamol, for example. That's not commonly used anymore, uh, but it's an antiplatelet drug. And it was kind of the drug that everybody used back in the 70s to help with cardiovascular problems and things like that. And people like Lance Armstrong, and this could be, I'm just suggesting this could be the reason that he survived, is because he was taking dipridamol as part of his cocktail because he had taken EPOs, which stimulate more red blood cells to be produced so that he had more stamina, etc. This was the reason he was banned and, and uh, lost his titles in his cycling because he'd taken this EPO. But one of the things that he did in order to stop your blood sticking together was take dipridamol. He may have taken a statin as well, and a statin was part of my cocktail. And this is all, and they're synergistic. These things work synergistically. Dipridamol and statin, they both work on two different cholesterol pathways. So, I, you know, I said cholesterol is really key for some cancers. Well, I think for his cancer, it must have been very key. But he uh, he used dipridamol, as, and I know this because his so his trainer his trainer's son was at school with my son so um i happened to have him he sort of came to collect his son from a play date and i didn't know who he was and um and then he told me who he was i went wow so you train i said can you tell me did he did he use and i showed him a box of my dipridamol which i had in the kitchen i said did he use this did he use? and he said yes he did because i kind of guessed that's what he'd done and to have it confirmed from the horse's mouth that this these cocktails of drugs were part of his, you know, they were part of his ability to become this superhuman. And this is the thing is that people think that Lance Armstrong was this amazing superhuman, which he was, to be honest. I mean, he was uh, an incredible athlete, but he kind of ruined his rep, tarnished his reputation completely by cheating but he used these drugs he was very lucky that the drugs he used to cheat actually treated his cancer because he had stage four cancer he had testicular cancer spread to his brain so again this is kind of like wow he's superhuman how did he how did he overcome that well i think we i don't know have i got the answer there you go well anyway, he's, he's lucky that he didn't die from using the epo because a lot of people don't know that i believe that the number exceeds 20 pro cyclists over the years that have died from using epo but really i hold nothing against lance armstrong just for the fact that the other riders in the tour were also cheating so yeah, that's another story for another day. <laughs> I think, but, yeah, I think it was probably a level platform, frankly, because I think they were all cheating. And I think that's one of the things that Johan, my friend, was talking about. And he said, well, you know, everybody was doing it. So he just got, he, he was kind of the full He guy. was the scapegoat for the whole thing. <laughs> so, but I want to ask you too, because you brought up something as, for example, you brought up, the keto diet and yeah. a lot of people actually do the keto diet incorrectly um and like you said it depends on the type of cancer uh one has to which 
diet is best to use. And I know with keto, the emphasis is more on healthy fats and not actually the protein. And of course, the diet is pretty close to being almost void of carbohydrates. Yeah, it's so extreme. And I think so many people have a lot of problem doing it. And also the cancers that are stimulated by a particular type type of inflammatory cytokine interleukin-6, they actually end up getting cachexia very badly when they go on the ketogenic diet. So pancreatic cancers, colorectal cancers are strongly driven by interleukin-6. And this can drive that cachexia. And I, I do worry that people end up being in a worse position sometimes because they, they try it and then they just waste away. They have no energy. They don't have the drive, the ability to fight the cancer because they're so weak. And this is important. You know, if you start to lose too much weight when you're on the ketogenic diet, interestingly, they've shown that adding dexmethasone, which is a glucocorticoid, one of the reasons that your cancer, that you respond to the ketogenic diet is the fact that you're reducing the glucose, but the glucocorticoid receptor is involved with it. If you then use dexmethasone, you can actually reboot your system to fight the cachexia. Uh, but there are problems with dexmethasone, with immunosuppression, with needing more glucose. There are, there are certain areas where I think we could probably do better. Dexmethasone actually is anti-inflammatory as well. In fact, I've looked at it and I'm, I'm, I've warmed up little bit to dexmethasone but I still don't think it's the best thing to add if you have one of these interleukin-6 driven cancers but if you look at the best cancer that responds to the the ketogenic diet that's glioblastoma and guess what they use with glioblastoma dexmethasone so you know that might be the reason I don't know I'm just sort of making some well, have you met anyone that's actually recovered from glioblastoma? Yes, I have several. And I have, um, yeah, yeah, I could name about five off the top of my head of people I know personally who are in remission. And, you know, I have reports in my Facebook group. You can go on there. You can have a look. People who have done cocktails and actually got to the point where they are in full remission. Now they're worried about coming off those off-label drugs because it's such a bad cancer uh, and its ability to reoccur and become really aggressive very quickly is always there. But you know, the people who are doing well are the ones that are staying on the protocol who are continuing, but they're they're doing cocktails that aren't your normal, you know, not just the ketogenic, they don't just do the ketogenic diet. They do things like there's an asthma drug that actually works really well for brain cancer so um an asthma drug asthma drug yeah yeah montelukast or what's it so they all pranial cast those those are drugs that work um very well with brain cancers as well as the mabendazole or the fenbendazole metformin the satin that you know the doxycycline which is an antibiotic the cocktails work really well together and these, um, you know, it's a synergistic effect of all of them uh, that, that works really particularly well. And I have some people who are doing fantastically on, on these cocktails. Now, also one of the drugs that I've heard, and I thought you mentioned it earlier, was metformin. 
Uh, a yeah. lot of research on metformin shows that it's possible that it has a longevity effect upon the body. Um, is that particular drug part of any protocol that you have? It's a very key part. I started using metformin back in about 2007, but before that I was using berberine. Nobody else I knew was using berberine, but it's like the natural equivalent of metformin. They both target very similar pathways, including um, mTOR, which is like a key uh, driver of proteins. So it's, it's part of the protein blocking side that metformin is really key and, and berberine as so um, they absolutely really key. They, they, the metformin actually will block many, many different pathways. And because it's used in diabetes for lowering glucose, berberine is really effective for that as well. So they actually work very synergically in and low toxicity as well. You know, they, it's very easy to add these things into your cocktail if you can get a doctor. Uh, most doctors, unfortunately, won't do it. But I do have a list of doctors on my site of people who do. So, you know, people need to go to my website and find the doctors who are capable, who actually have, have they broken free from the shackles and decided they will put their necks on the line and they will prescribe some of these off-label drugs. So I do have um, some amazing doctors. You just have to go to my website, howtostarvecancer.com and you will find them on there, listed on there. I have a, I have doctors all over the world now who well, follow me, follow the protocols. And yeah, uh, and, and ladies and gentlemen, this is a book that is a must have by everyone. This is something that you just want to read to read uh, because we all end up knowing somebody that has cancer. Now you mentioned Jane interleukin six. Uh, are there any natural substances that help to block that pathway? Yes. So berberine, actually, in combination Bur with red yeast rice, the combination of those two things work really well on interleukin-6. So things like curcumin will work well and uh, fish oils will work well. Ivermectin, as another off-label drug, works really well on interleukin-6 and helps to reboot the immune system as well for cancer. So that's, you know, that's another, that's one of my other favorites. <laughs> I have several favorite off-label drugs, but, you know, ivermectin's in there, despite all its controversy with COVID and everything else. Anyway, well, but we have ivermectin here. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we actually keep it on hand at, at home. So uh, we know how important ivermectin is and I'm yeah. a big I'm a big berberine user, quercetin, curcumin. Yeah. The, yeah. You know, those are just part of my daily routine. Yeah. Well, so, fingers well, crossed you're never going to get cancer. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> think, well, how important is it to know about the types of protein, the carbohydrates and fats that one should eat and those uh and the ones that uh we should avoid when fighting cancer? Uh, with the mindset in starving this cancer to death. Mm, and I think the mindset is something that is really key. A lot of people think I got better purely because I was stubborn. They tell, oh, well, you're stubborn. <laughs> and there probably is a lot of truth to that. I probably am seen as stubborn. But I had to, um, I was fighting for my life and I was still pretty young back then. You know, I'm a, an old lady now, but back then, 
uh, I, I had the drive to survive as well. I'm sure I still have it now, but you know, I, um, I absolutely was not going to leave any stone unturned until I'd actually gone through everything I possibly could. Um, so yeah, it's important to, to do the research and try and find out what drives your cancer and which proteins are more important for your particular cancer. I have got an online course which helps people go through it in more detail and to sort of work out specifically more of the um, targeted things you need to do for different types of cancers. So I've, I've taken my book and made it easier for people with videos. I've got about 100 of these videos in my online course. They're not very long. They're only sort of five, 10 minutes long each one. But they will go through the kind of the way that cancer starts and then how it sort of drives itself, the type of growth factors that it uses, how to use, you know, so if you have immunotherapy, some of the things that you do, like the ivermectin, um, to try and overcome the blocks that the immunotherapies won't overcome so that you can get things to work in synergy and get these conventional treatments, because I'm not against conventional treatment. I'm about making the conventional treatments work better because the conventional treatments obviously are good. They've been tried and tested. They clearly have benefits, but we need to make them work better. And that's my goal is to try and encourage people to look at these things, add them in and make the whole um, treatment program work a lot better. But it does mean at the moment there's uh, quite a lot of things you need to take. So I was known as maracas by my sailing buddies because I'd shake with so many different pills every day but that was part of part of what I did and, and I did it for years and years and I still take as you clearly do you take uh, a few pills every day and I think it's important it's important to know your diet can't provide everything you need I know many people out there say oh if you have a good diet you don't need anything else that's I don't think that's true no, it's not true at all. So many carcinogens, so many toxic exposures in our life, too much plastic driving estrogen and, you know, phthalates in our skin care or whatever. There are many different toxic exposures that we have in our life and we need to detoxify and clean out our processes, check what we're, you know, have a, a more organic lifestyle and uh, cut down the amount of wheat, far too much meat, um, cut down the amount of meat um, and cert cut down the amount of glucose in our diets as well. Very so much so now. Well, how is mainstream medicine missing the mark by only treating the rapidly dividing cancer cells and ignoring the stem cells? I guess we consider them as the holy grail. Uh, as well as growth factors, because two to three percent of cancer cells are actually resistant to chemotherapy, correct? That's absolutely correct, because the chemo targets only fast dividing cells. And these are not the stem cells, which are about one in 10,000 of the tumor cells. So very, very small population. But so you can look like you're getting rid of the tumor by eradicating all of the fast dividing cells, but you leave behind the slower dividing stem cells. And that's the key. These things are actually the ones that drive and spawn these new tumors. So they're the ones that we really need to focus on and get rid of those at the same time, which is why chemo on its own, you know, it's, um, 
you're, you're dicing, you're playing Russian roulette if you just have the chemo and you're not looking at getting rid of those cancer stem cells at the same time. Well, how can you stop treatment resistance? I mean, this is the major cause for treatment failure. Yeah, absolutely. And treatment resistance is for many reasons why you get treatment resistance. I think that drug efflux, efflux pumps are being um, activated. So there are ways, in fact, fenbendazole and mubendazole can actually help block those efflux pumps so they can keep the cancer inside a little bit longer. Uh, berberine is brilliant for that. And also, uh, so that's efflux pumps. And then you've got the ability of the cancer to rewire itself. So if you chemo is kind of giving it um, one targeting it, but cancer and the reason I have my metro map is because I show these fuel lines as sort of different ways that the cancer learns to resist the treatment. So it'll just use a different route. So the point is that you need a cocktail in order to block off multiple routes at the same time. So it doesn't have the opportunity to come in and use a different route. And that's the cocktail approach is to have um, blocking glucose, blocking glutamine, blocking fat pathways. mTOR, which is this protein pathway, is particularly important with helping to stop treatment resistance. You need the metformin in your cocktail in order or berberine to try and stop that treatment resistance. That's really key. Um, so that, because it blocks so many pathways, actually, both metformin and berberine are, are multiple pathway blockers. You know, you are a, you're not only a walking miracle, you've become a miracle for so many people who are fighting cancer. And I'm amazed that, uh, and, and, you know, praise the Lord for someone like you that took the time to research and to read through databases and to understand what some of these off-label drugs can do, because it, it reminds me how, uh, HIV was successfully fought by creating a drug cocktail. Because like you said, Correct. you have to cut off every single pathway. You know, it's kind of like HIV is a great example because it's, it's a yeah. virus that thinks for itself and it knows how to change course and work around yeah. any type of blockade, which is why they created these uh, drug cocktails in the first place, because you have to cut it off at every pathway because it knows how to think for itself. And, and you know what? Yeah, go ahead. Patient advocates who drove those cocktails, who they were the ones looking at it. There was one guy, I can't remember his name, but he was really instrumental. He got involved with getting on all the boards uh, for talking about getting these cures together. And he was so frustrated that they couldn't see. And he kind of realized that you needed to have this cocktail in order to make it work. And he really drove, drove the, um, the changes. And it was, they were starting to do these, these uh, trials on, on the drugs. And then they realized that actually the cocktails were the answer. And then it was kind of, they, they were doing these stage one trials and then they just rushed them through because they knew that, um, people were dying in their, I mean, you know, back in the 80s, it was a, a horrendous story with um, HIV. And, you know, so many uh, gay guys were dying in, in that community. It was, it was awful. And 
they had a lot of money, they had a lot of finance, and they had a lot of patient power. And it was the patient power that really drove that. And that's kind of where I'm coming from, because I know that oncologists don't look at my book and they, you know, okay, my title probably puts them off, I'll, I'll be honest, because <laughs> it's called How to Starve Cancer. So they think it's just all going to be about diet. And in fact, probably the cancer patient thinks it's all going to be about diet as well. I think they're maybe a little bit horrified when they open my book and find it's not full of recipes. But the um, the, 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 the key here is the patient um, revolution was what actually changed the, uh, the course of HIV treatment. And I'm trying to do the same thing with cancer. I'm trying to get so many people to know about this and to drive the changes and to get the oncologists to realize they are missing a massive piece of the jigsaw. And that, that's where I'm going right now. It's, well, it's a, what, well, what was it like to appear before parliament to uh, talk about this? I haven't, well, I've talked to various MPs. I've been to parliament. I have um, tried to champion this. I've done small meeting groups with, with MPs. I haven't actually been right in front. I haven't actually stood in parliament, you know, but I've been to the offices. I've been, I've been to sort of meeting rooms, not actually stood in in parliament itself one day i hope to get there one day and but yeah it's been um i i'm still working on it in fact there there are some politicians that actually have cancer or brothers of people who are very high up in the political world here so i'm getting back into talking you know if i can persuade them to to look at what i do um and to try it out, then I think we might get somewhere. And the thing is, I'm, I'm constantly talking to patients. They have doctors or relatives who are really, you know, in the background as well. So sometimes the doctors will get involved. And then, I mean, like this week, I was talking to a lady with triple negative breast cancer. Her husband's a cardiologist. She didn't know that the, the husband didn't know anything about me to start with. It was only the wife that was saying, you need to look at this. And then he went, oh, okay, I'll, you know, and then he's, he's fully, fully in it now you know he's so behind the whole the whole approach and this is how it's slowly trickling up to the top you know to the to the doctors that uh, eventually hopefully will change how they approach cancer well for for uh, for cancer patients how important is it for them to stay in contact with their oncologist well it's key because they need those conventional treatments as well but a lot of them, a lot of patients won't discuss with the conventional oncologist because they are very set in their ways, very set in how they think that you should have your treatments and they will dismiss diet, they'll dismiss supplements, they'll dismiss, you know, many things. Actually, exercise is one thing that they will support, but that's about it, you know. They, they normally dismiss everything else. Um, and it, it is an uphill battle. And as a cancer patient, you can't be fighting everybody. You've got your own battles to fight. And that's the problem, you know, and this is why it takes so long to get the changes because cancer patients don't feel they can discuss it because the resistance is so strong. It's awful out there as a cancer patient. You just can't, you can't get through to these doctors. You really can't. It's, um, no, tricky. you can't. And yeah, they're, they're more, they're beyond set in their ways, but I do. And you know, when cancer patients ask me questions, I tell them 
stay in contact with your oncologist for the sole uh, idea of getting retested to find out, is your cocktail working? You know, is your yeah. treatment working? If you're doing things like, you know, you know, someone following your book by going to the oncologist and maybe getting an updated blood test, getting an updated PET scan and, and MRIs, the list goes on. At least you're going to know where you're at in your journey. You know, that way you're going to know if you're getting better. Yep, absolutely. And I think it's important not to be scared and to realize even if you are stage four, you're not, you know, there, there are many things that you can do and you're not going to necessarily die. I have many stage four cancer patients who have been told they're terminally ill, um, thinking they've only got weeks to live. They're still going. I've got, you know, I started my Facebook group in 2015, but prior to that, I already had followers. You know, I started the off-label drugs group to try and put the information out there that all these other things existed. But I've had followers since 2014 who were still alive, having been told, oh, you're going to die. Um, you know, I'm really sorry, you've only got a few weeks to live back in 2014. And before that as well, actually, from just personal contacts. But this is sort of through Facebook and people I didn't I didn't really meet. You know, these are only my social media contacts that have uh, been in contact with me. And I've, I've helped them through um, various crises in their life. But uh, it's, it's a hard job. It's a hard job. I have, you know, the responsibility of trying to cure everybody is massive. <laughs> and I can't do it. Um, well, it, you know, it is, I, it is I, I massive because responsibility back onto the patient because I can't take everybody's journey on. I just can't, you know. So and, my, my job is to educate people how to educate themselves. And that's it. And ladies and gentlemen, look, you know, if you want the most powerful book about cancer, then you need to head over to howtostarvecancer.com and get Jane's book, which is now in its second edition. Now, to defeat cancer, you have to be willing, you have to be a willing participant in your own treatment, and Jane's book is the first book that truly gives everyone, even with terminal cancer, the fighting chance to win the fight. See, Jane McClellan has expanded the roadmap to show which fuel pipelines you need to block for every type of cancer so that you too can create your own cancer-starving cocktail. You know, tragically, many simple old drugs have been overlooked in the race for the latest patentable game changers. But is the answer already out there? Jane believes it is. Bit by bit, she has pieced the puzzle together, demystified its complexity, and produced a thorough cancer-starving protocol. But without sufficient nutrients to feed its, well, its appetite, cancer cannot survive. This book will answer those burning questions you face when you begin to explore integrative treatments, which off-label drugs and supplements you should be taking. Should you try the, the keto diet? Should you fast? Is, you know, which fat is safe? How much and when should you exercise? Jane explains why each patient needs a personalized approach and importantly, how to work it all out. Again, head over to howtostarvecancer.com and get educated. This book is also perfect to learn about prevention. And Jane, I want to thank you so much for coming on today 
and expanding uh, this conversation even more. Yeah, it's a complex subject and it's not something you can really, you know, we've dabbled a little bit into different pathways and things, but it is, you know, it is something that people need to sit down and study in order to really understand it properly. And I think it's important as if you're diagnosed with cancer that you understand it. Oncologists don't understand it, but it would help if you, the patient, actually understood it. So, you know, I'm empowering the patient. That is my goal is to teach you to be back in the driving seat. If you have cancer, this is how you can get in control. You can determine um, the treatments that you have. You can understand why things work, why things don't work, and how to make them work better. That's it. And ladies and gentlemen, do not be overwhelmed because many of you, uh, thousands of you have made comments on my Facebook page about uh, Jane's book. Don't be overwhelmed. Take it page by page, absorb it, read it, research it. It's not just about diet. It's about how to use natural therapies, uh, natural supplements, uh, diet, as well as off-label drugs that have the uncanny ability to cut off certain pathways so that you can starve your cancer. So again, go to howtostarvecancer.com, buy Jane's book again get educated because and and i have to agree with uh jane here if just if if you ever get diagnosed with cancer or maybe you have been get stubborn and fight because if you get stubborn that's actually a positive in this case so again head over to howtostarvecancer.com get jane's book and again, Jane, I want to thank you so much for your valuable insight and your research and spending your time with us today. Well, you, you fully understand where I'm coming from. And I really thank you for your understanding of what we need to do in this environment of, of almost com complementary versus conventional. We don't want that. We want to merge the two together. And you see that. And I'm, I'm very thankful for you for having me on. Well, to, you are very, very welcome, and you are welcome back anytime, and I can I can almost hear it now. Uh, our second interview here is probably going to garner even more questions, but more importantly, give you, ladies and gentlemen, the hope that you need to realize you can defeat it. So I want to, <clears throat> I want to thank you for watching Jane and I today, and I'll see you next time. Now, I have partnered up with therapist Jane McClellan, who is a two-time terminal cancer survivor, and I offer you the How to Starve Cancer online course with lifetime access. Simple strategies to starve your cancer without starving yourself. This easy-to-follow course has been designed to make Jane McClellan's book, How to Starve Cancer, visually more explanatory, and it makes the science simple so that you can personalize your approach to achieve optimal results to stop your cancer from growing. Now, this course will elevate your understanding of cancer metabolism so that you can be confident that you are adding the right therapies and supplements. The How to Starve Cancer course will teach you the entire picture, how cancer starts, what drives it, how it feeds and how it progresses, gets you back in the driver's seat and gives you the best chance to win the battle. So go to drwardbond.com and get the program today.